Hi, everybody. You may have caught that belch. I don't know. My name is Luke Thomas, and welcome. This is episode, I think, 108, 108 of my live chat. Thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, as you can tell, <clears throat> I am at home today. Um, I got back from traveling late last night, and um, I'm a little sick today. So between just being exhausted, I, don't, I, can't, I honestly cannot remember the last time I had like a great night of sleep. I literally could not tell you when that was. But anyway, um, I'm a little sick. I didn't want to get Othello sick, and I was just exhausted anyway. So I'm at home, which means we have access to the things that we need in terms of the equipment, and it's a little bit better sound in here, which we should talk about for just a second. I know some folks were asking, hey, where was the last episode? Uh, we left the YouTube video up, but I did not put it out as a podcast. The audio was not good enough for it, and I don't know how to do anything in post with audio to fix what that was. I mean, I can adjust a couple of things here and there in post, but not really anything like that. So I'm sorry, uh, but I just could not put that out as a podcast. It, 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 No. But today's will be up almost as, the, as soon as the show is over. So there we go. All right? So thumbs up on the video. Please leave a nice comment. Contribute to the conversation, please, and subscribe if you haven't. I believe, do we have some of this stuff today? Because I got some old tools back. Yeah, there we go. See, I got a couple things back. Um, okay, so without further ado, you put your questions in. I will look at them in just a second. We'll go for about an hour. If you would like to leave a donation through the Super Chat, I'll get to your question at the end. Those provide you uh, not exclusivity, but priority, ultimately in the end. Okay? Without further ado, let's get this party started. All right, there we go. Let's see. Sound yeah, okay, Othello says it sounds good. Good. Very very good. Okay, let's look at your questions and we'll start. Now, obviously, I know that some of the major topics are going to be Masvidal. Well, I turned this off as well. They're going to be Masvidal versus Covington, Patty Pimblett, that sort of a thing. But really, as you guys know, this is your chat as much as it is mine. So whatever is on your mind, we'll get to that. Okay? All right. So first things first, let's resort it. And then we'll get to what you got. Oh, by the way. Uh, BC and I, uh, for Morning Combat, we sat down with Gilbert Burns for like 45 minutes for an interview <clears throat> you guys know I don't really like doing interviews if all of my interviews could be like that that's all I would ever do it was a joy to talk to him he is not merely one of the smartest fighters that I've talked to but more than that experienced and on top of it I think the mo the thing that I walked away with most was he is extremely thoughtful about himself about what has gone right about what has gone wrong and about what the path ahead looks like um I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. I'd be very surprised if you don't. We'll see. I don't know that for sure. But <coughs> I'm pretty sure. Sorry about that. All right. <clears throat> it seems uh, most MMA fans have sided with Covington in this situation. <clears throat> As Masvidal had 25 minutes to beat him up two weeks ago, not only to get out-wrestled by Covington, but outstruck, and it wasn't exactly a street fight. Well, he did get dropped, but I know what you mean. Uh, it was more of an attack from behind without Colby knowing. Do you therefore see UFC lowering Masvidal money? No. And eliminating pay-per-view points from his contract for gross misconduct? No. They will do nothing. I mean, we'll have to see. But if past is prologue, they will absolutely do nothing. And in 
part of the reason why they won't do anything is because he's an independent contractor. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that they're bound to do work with him, but uh, they don't want anyone thinking that they could be considered employees. And of course, to get from an independent contractor to an employee, there's a process and there's a list of things that they look at, but it's not an ironclad list. You don't have to have every single one. It has to just be you know, enough of the circumstances that it's a preponderance of evidence that basically says that they're employees versus independent contractors. When you come down on them and you start fining them and then changing their, I don't know if you could unilaterally even change their contract or whatever, you would begin to blur those lines. Folks have been asking what happened to the code of conduct. That's what happened to the code of conduct. UFC has never really, I think, formally commented on it, so they perhaps have a different perspective. But pretty clearly you can tell there was a moment in the early 2010s, right, when they were fining Nate Diaz for calling people things. I forget what he even said at this point. Before the RDA fight, and they fined him a bunch of money, and Matt Mitrione for saying stuff about Fallon Fox. Um, there was initially an effort at a code of conduct, which is technically still in the books. It's just never enforced because it would blur that line. And so they end up having to be in a position where unless the act is extraordinarily egregious, they can't really... I mean, they can, but they typically, let's say, they have not distanced themselves from their independent contractors who engage in uh, unlawful behavior. So, what's the UFC going to do about it if past is prologue? Nothing. Now, uh, do, the question was, do you see UFC lowering Masvidal money? No. Eliminating pay-per-view points? No. Uh, decreasing Masvidal's popularity significantly. That's the interesting part about this. BC yesterday on MK was like he could be setting this up for a pay-per-view. That seems unrealistic to me. I think, again, we don't know the circumstances in totality. How, how did he know Covington was there? Again, it has to be proven that it was him, so who knows what defense will will come up. But assuming that we, you know, he was named the suspect, assuming that it is him... Um. I have noticed that there is a weird split, right? Like Covington got the win two weeks ago or whatever it was, two, three weeks ago, and then was just sort of living his life and he gets hit in the street. And then a lot of people being like, man, like Colby's up 2-0 over him. I've seen some of those comments. I mean, I think on one level, that's pretty correct, actually. Um, he had 25 minutes. You guys all know the story. Jorge had 25 minutes to go and... I mean, it, it's not like um, these guys had a job where like, you know, they both worked in an office together or at a warehouse together or on a cooking line together or any job where people are together. It wasn't, it wasn't, it's not like that. I mean, they, their job is literally fist fighting, right? I mean, you know, if you wanted to get back at the guy, what better, seriously, what better legal mechanism could there be other than the one that was handed to him? And it wasn't even a three round contest. It was a five. And he dropped him in one of it. Like, dude, that... Can you imagine how many bullies there are around the world being like, I wish I had a chance to do that legally. I wish I had an opportunity to do that legally. Um, it's just it's shocking, the, the, the judgment calls here. Uh, but to the point, I, w I think it is worth paying attention to Masvidal's stock. It, it's not just that he's getting a little bit older, which I think was reflected in the UFC 272 performance which I talked about live on that fight night. I think on top of that, Colby has slowly kind of endeared himself to at least a portion of the fan base, a pretty big one from what I can tell. He has certainly branched out and has made inroads into other pop culture circles and political circles to some degree. I mean, it's, you know, milk boy level, but that's, you know, it's higher than a lot of fighters get. 
And, um, and you know, obviously on the political side, he's on some of the bigger podcasts, like Candace Owens and a bunch of other ones. He's on Fox News all the time. So, like, um, you know, they're, they're, I'm not saying their careers are headed, well, they might be headed in different directions at this point. But the point I'm trying to make here is um, with Colby, you know, he gets this win. He has inserted himself and, and asserted himself more broadly as a personality. Then this happens to him, which, again, I want to make it clear about my argument here in terms of like, is Colby a victim here? Like it's not even, it's not, it's not up for debate. Like we live in a society of rules and all and law and, and order. And if Jorge did that, and we don't know to what extent it was premeditated, but if he did that, he clearly made a choice to do that. You know, how premeditated was it a week? Was it a day? Was it five minutes? I mean, I have no clue. We'll have to see what that happens. And again, these are all alleged. I cannot say this over and over again, but Point I'm trying to make, if it was him, dude, that was a pretty clear, whoever did that, you know, Jorge is the number one suspect. They, they, they made a choice about that. They made a choice about that. Like you should not feel sympathy for on any level for the perpetrator. They think that they elected to do this freely. And if it was Jorge, who just had 25, I mean, 25 minutes to go fist fight your number one rival, um, I do think it's worth paying attention to. I don't know how much it will boost Colby's stock by virtue of this weird, like, don't call the police, stop snitching thing. It's like, dude, if someone broke your teeth and damaged your watch, I, I get that there's this code, like, you know, and he, and of course, there's a obviously a question about to what extent Colby has some reflecting to do about some of his own behavior. But, you know, it doesn't matter what he said, um, provided it's protected speech, which it is. You can't do that to him. <laughs> you just can't. You can't. That's not the world we live in, man. You can't. Otherwise, I had someone. I had someone Instagram me. It was like uh, both of these guys did the old fuck around and find out bit, you know. But in terms of Masvidal's popularity, it is worth paying attention to here. I have seen a noteworthy, anecdotal, but a reaction online from people being like, "This is serious." I mean, like you know, the losses are piling up. You fought your rival. You just lost. You catch him in the street. Granted, you know, I, whether you should feel sympathy for whether you should feel sympathy for Colby is a separate question from whether or not he is a victim. By the way, they're they're slightly they're somewhat overlapping. A lot of it not overlapping. But to do the again to do what he has been alleged to do, uh, it does seem like it turned off a lot of people. So you know, it's not the one thing. It's that as sort of the straw that broke the camel's back. In addition to uh, all the other things, but it is worth paying attention to whether or not um, a what will happen with these charges. B what UFC will do about it. Again, I predict nothing, but we'll have to see. And then C um, if he does come back and when he does, what this all does to his popularity and his stock and and everything else. I mean, if there's money to be made off of him and people are interested, then things will happen. But it, I agree. Like I did see a. A little bit of a turn with a lot of folks. And I know Habib put out this thing about Colby. I mean, I just couldn't I couldn't agree less. You know, I understand his point. It's like if you instigate all of these things and then repercussions follow as a consequence, you know, then asking law enforcement to get involved um, is, you know, some kind of a – it's it's cowardly and an act of betrayal to a certain extent. Um, I, don't, I don't agree. Laws are laws. You don't get to decide which ones you get to obey. Um, 
especially like you know, and new laws or, or or laws at the margin, highly contested ones. Who who is going to be the one that goes? You know what? I think assault and battery is totally fine under certain circumstances. I guess some people might do that, but I'm not going to be one of them. I think most rational people would be like, yeah, that should be a thing that we generally frown upon. Um, but at the same time, I also recognize that it's like, dude, it, this is the other part about it. This is, this is why it's a little bit complicated. This is the part about Colby too. It's like, is he a victim here? Zero question. 100% he's the victim and he is entitled to any legal and civil remedies that are before him, you know? Um, and that, and, and the assailant in this case, as I said before, clearly made a choice to accept those consequences, whether they did it knowingly or not, they did. And so... You know, we'll see what who how the piper gets paid here, but um, I don't know. I, I just feel like with Colby, uh, the, the reflecting on, I think he thought maybe this was all a game, or that you know a lot of guys get mad, but it wouldn't ever really get too far and whatnot. Um, and again, whatever he said does not mean anyone can go and just sock him in the face, but. Um, you know, there are people that do not care what the rules are. And they live in society too. And so if you're going to agitate them, it seems to me you would want to have a good reason for it. Like there's a, you know, it's a, a, a political leader and you have evidence that they've engaged in corruption and you have good evidence for it and you're a journalist or whatever, right? A real principled stance and you're risking a lot by doing that or, or whatever the case may be. You know, th that to me is a risk worth taking, right? You know bad things could happen to you, but that agitation has a real, it's it's backed by something important and genuine. This was this was agitation for self-aggrandizement, which he is certainly entitled to do, but, he, you know, you just can't act surprised that this happened. This was, I'm, I'm frankly surprised it took this long, to be quite honest with you. Um, and so you just have to recognize whether or not that is acceptable or not, is irrelevant to whether or not it will happen. And that's the question you have to ask yourself. And then when you get to that stage of will it or won't it happen, it seemed to me he was probably in a little bit of denial about whether it would happen. And it did. And it did. And it was wrong. And I, it's easy to say it was wrong. I'm saying it was wrong. No doubt about it. Colby's a victim. He is entitled to, to legal remedies if he wants to sue Masvidal. Dude, Masvidal served it up for him. Again, allegedly. Allegedly. He served it up for him. You don't want those things to happen? Don't let them. Um, but at the same time, it's like, dude, these are not people that are fucking around with you. Like, you're fucking with them. Doesn't work that way. Not with everybody. And you have to, you have to know that. You have to understand that. So if you're going to agitate them, what are you agitating them for? You know, do you just walk into a Hell's Angels office or a garage or whatever? I've saw, there was one in Manhattan I used to pass to get from, my, my friend used to live on 3rd and 12th, if you guys know where that is, it's near Union Square, and um, we used to walk from 3rd and 12th down to Alphabet City, and there was like this Hell's Angels, um, I don't know what you want to call it, it's like brick and mortar place, they, they don't sell shit, that was just where they hung out, you know, you're going to walk in there and be like, hey fuckos, who wants to lick my ties, you bunch of bitches, do they have a right to go and punch you in the face, no, absolutely not, are they going to, yeah, they're going to beat you within an inch of your fucking life if you do that. You know, so you just have to understand, like, if you're going to agitate, w w f is it worth it? Maybe. Maybe he feels like it was. But um, what should happen and what does happen in the real world and what people respect and what they don't 
you have to you have to you have to be aware of all of it. Hi Luke, uh, it's amazing how fan bias can control a narrative so much. The fans made a huge fuss about the Adesanya Whitaker decision, and most of these same fans had no problem with the Whitaker Till decision. In actuality, Till was much closer to beating Whitaker than Whitaker was to beating Adesanya. Twenty of twenty-five media scorecards had it for Israel. <coughs> While the scorecards were split down the middle at 10 apiece for Till and Whitaker. If you spend uh, any time on any of the major MMA forums, you'll quickly recognize that there's a big hate train against Israel amongst fans. Whitaker is the relatively quiet, humble guy, while Israel is sort of the loud, outspoken shit talker. I don't think he's that much of a shit talker personally. I'm sure that's where the bias comes from in the MMA community. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this and your thoughts on Till being closer to beating Whitaker than Whitaker was to beating Israel. Um, yeah, I think that's probably a lot of truth to it. Listen, this has been true for a long time with Israel. And, you know, I think he understands. He also kind of needles the audience a little bit. Not maybe not, not in such a direct way. But listen, Robert Whitaker is a nice, humble, hardworking guy. People are always going to like that. They're always going to like that. And they should. There's nothing. What's, what's not to like? Right? He's a good fighter. Seems like a great dad. I don't know him as a person, but he stays out of trouble, hardworking, constantly improving, fights all the toughest guys. Like, dude, what is there to not like about Robert Whitaker? It's basically impossible not to like him, you know? Uh, and, you know, here's the difference with Israel Adesanya. I don't, I don't think people have picked up on this or maybe, I don't know. This is the way I understand him. He is unapologetic. He is a little irreverent. He's a little weird. He's a little different. Um, he, you know, he's, he's young, he's brash and he is who he is and he does not make any apologies about it. He doesn't try to cover for it. He doesn't, he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't care about any of those things. He lives life under his own guidance and sensibilities. And if you're along for the ride, cool. If you're not, that's cool too. Um, but it rubs some people the wrong way. Being unapologetic in life about who you are will rub a lot of people the wrong way, especially when, um, you live your life in public, especially when you're young, which, by the way, all you know, obviously adds to the brashness and everything else that goes around it. And listen, I know nobody wants to hear this. I know this. What I'm about to say, a bunch of people are going to be like, "Oh, I can't believe you're saying this." But you know, I mean, they made an entire movie about this called "The Great White Hype." You know, I, am I saying that in every case, or even the predominant amount of cases, um, that this has any racial undertones? No, I have no idea about the the preponderance, the the general. Um, how much of it is driven by this, but you know, it is sort of consistently, and it's not always this case, but anytime you've got people irrationally hating a young, unapologetic black male, it is at least worth a moment of reflection to say, is there anything larger being brought into this conversation? And you might conclude that there is not. Nevertheless, it is not something you could easily dismiss. But in general, what I would say is he is just totally unapologetic about it. Um, he's not looking to... Not that not not that Whitaker is necessarily either, but I don't think Adesanya Adesanya knows that through acclaim and popularity and winning, fans will be there, and the ones who really like him will like him, and it'll sort of organically sort itself. He's not going out and doing the you know from Greg Jackson to John Jones, go out and make some fans. He's not trying to do that, and I think that rubs some fans the wrong way. I think it rubs some media folks the wrong way. It rubs a lot of people the wrong way. It doesn't bother me at all. In fact, I kind of prefer it. I would rather someone be a little bit weird and irreverent and a little bit off. 
but be completely comfortable with who they are in their process. And it probably goes to some other things too, right? The, the part of it is not that that Israel is blame-free or anyone is perfect. No one is perfect. He obviously has said some stuff. The Twin Towers thing wasn't great. He said a few other things that were a little bit off. But, you know, it's impossible to live your life in public and not stumble a few times. The, I think the other part is, you know, he's got this reputation as a fearsome striker, which on occasion you see in like this grand detail. But then in other times... You know, people want that fearsome striker, and he'll kind of turn it on its head a little bit. Even when he's fearsome, he's cerebral, but then he'll get really cerebral and very careful because he's not an idiot. And so it makes some of the performances so careful to the point of not being of high entertainment value. And they don't like that either. Um, so there's probably a bunch of factors that go into it, but the one, the biggest one for me uh, is going to be that Dude, Israel Adesanya, from what I can tell, I've obviously talked to him many times, sometimes in private, sometimes in person. Um, you know, I haven't talked to him in a long time, but recently, but uh, that dude don't give a fuck what you think. <laughs> he don't care at all. He don't care at all. And good for him, you know, and not even, even including me. Like, I bet he doesn't give a shit what I think in terms of uh, how he lives his life. Good. He shouldn't. And I know this is not good for being sick, but I need this for this, so. Hi, Luke. Going back a couple of weeks ago, I wasn't nearly as impressed with Bryce Mitchell's performance against Barboza as many other people seem to be. Don't get me wrong. It's a great win for Bryce, but at the same time, if you're being lauded as a high-level elite graveler in the division, I felt like it shouldn't take you nearly three rounds to finally pass Edson's guard. Okay. Some people have said to me, quote, he didn't want to pass guard, just wanted to ground and pound him. Well, even if that was true, Bryce only landed 34 significant strikes for the entire fight. That is correct. Bryce is all about submissions, and the first step to setting up submissions is passing the guard. Hell, even ground to pound is more effective after passing the guard. People will point to the 10-8 rounds, but 10-8s are a lot easier to get these days, and this fight is a good example of that. I saw people calling this a Habib-level beatdown. And comparing it to what Habib did against Edson, but it's not really close to that at all, in my opinion. And the fight stats for each fight and the eye test back that up. What are your thoughts on this? Okay, so a couple things. One, you're right about 10-8s being easier. Two, I do not agree it was a Habib-level beatdown. Habib had, I think, either double or triple the amount of strikes, in part because Habib's style is much more wide open. He lets guys kind of work through position. He haul, he, he, he stalls it out, he controls it, he brings it back, right? There's, so there's always this tug of war he's playing positionally. And then through that, he doesn't have as significant control of the person, although he does have pretty good control. But he has a lot of control um, mixed with the ability to do ground and pound. So his style is much more open up. You'll see people that Habib controls move a little bit more because they have space to move. But they take a lot more punishment along the way. I understand what you're saying about Bryce. Calling it a Habib-level beatdown is not accurate. It's not accurate. And then calling it some kind of jiu-jitsu masterpiece in the sense of you got put into guard, you know, uh, slicing through the open guard, moving to half, moving to mount, you know, in this sort of dedicated, real clear, positionally better kind of way, and then you're advancing and then threatening. It wasn't that either. <clears throat> so why are people calling it impressive? Well, one, he beat a very battle-tested guy, who I think is... Probably, you know, a little bit shop-worn at this point, but still quite battle-tested. Two, um, he did it without much issue. 
right? He went four for four on takedowns. He did not have a lot of ground and pound. He didn't have a lot of, I don't even know how many submission attempts he had, if any, but, um, but it was clean. What he attempted was super efficient, right? So that's the other part of it. So it was, it was efficient. It was clean. It was, it was technically executed. <clears throat> and then on top of it, some of the ways in which he strategizes his grappling, his overall metagame, that is advanced, right? There was one thing that John Danaher once said about the rear naked choke and why, you know, B BJ Penn did this, so it wasn't the Danaher guys that invented it, I, although I don't know where BJ got it from. I don't know who was the inventor of it. But when you go to the back and you're trying to go for a rear naked choke, there's a numbers game involved, right? They have two hands, you have two hands. And so, you know, as long as that is the case, it's not that you can't get the rear naked choke, but it's going to be very difficult or it's going to take a little time because you're going to have to win like a quick hand battle game. It's very hard to do. So, you know, Kevin Lee, for example, is like very good at getting the back, but what do you notice that he does? He goes to the body triangle. Now, that's not wrong. Body triangle is great. It's going to keep you there. The body triangle is hard to get off. But here's the difference. Danaher has specifically argued, and again, every case, it'll be case by case when you use this, but there should be a lot of back attacks that at least consider the incorporation of the outside leg coming over to trap the arm. It looks cool, but there's a real strategy behind it because now it's a little bit different. One, we can both use our head, so I didn't count that before, but now you have asymmetry in numbers. Now the person with the back attack has two hands and a head, right, for posting control and everything else. The other person just has the one hand and, of course, their own head, which is going to be in a defensive position the whole time anyway. So now you have you, you have a numbers game on them. This is why Bryce Mitchell moving to mount so quickly and effortlessly, not doing that that old jiu-jitsu route of full guard, then half, then side control, side control, then knee on belly, then knee on belly, then mount, right? He, he, he is circumventing all of that and trying to attack mount from these, like, semi-small windows but they give you advancement right to that position. Why? Because if he can at least threaten Mount, he doesn't even have to get past the legs. He can kind of sit on top of them. It's true that he can't use his own legs, but what he has done is, by virtue of the threat from his knees, he forces his opponent to bring a hand or sometimes two hands to that. So now he actually is winning a numbers game, right? My legs are past yours. My knees are sliding up. You have to address this. You literally cannot use your legs to do that. Of course, you can you can hip heist and and and, and bridge, but um, you know, assuming you can't get out that way, now your hands have to get involved, or a minimum an elbow has to get involved. Usually your hands, right? And you got to shrimp out, but that leaves your face wide open. Plus, I can hand wrap, and then I can even, you know, just drill you. So he has understood. Some of the significance of what Habib already understood. Why does Habib like to go for the takedown, what he did against Connor? I think even in round one a little bit. And then he laces the legs, not like a freestyle wrestling leg lace, but he essentially puts his, he, he triangles the legs with his own. And then he sits there and grounds and pounds, too, because it's a numbers game now. He has controlled your legs. If you want to get out of it, you have to put your hands on the mat to turn. You have to put a hand on, on his hips. You got to do something with your hands other than punch back, and you're not even in a dominant position to do it. Or you got to cover up, but it's a numbers game. Dude, that's a major change in the way folks have applied it, have used it. The mount was lost 10 years ago. Guys were like never training it. They were avoiding it. Yeah, the, the hardcore, you know, guys like J Jacare and stuff like that were doing it. But 
a lot of people, good fighters, just kind of moved away from it. And now you're seeing these guys bring it right back. But they're not doing that old laborious route to get there. They're jumping right over the bridge. Dude, it's that's sorry, man, that's super high level. Now that, now in terms of like the the understanding of the game and, and the way it works, like I, I don't see mediocre grapplers doing that because they can't. Now, to your point, why didn't he pass guard? Why didn't he do more ground and pound? I, I kind of have a feeling he had a healthy respect for Edson. And I feel like, not that he was risk averse, dude, he took him down four times. He took that fight to him. There's no doubt about it. But rather that he wanted to take his time to open up. I think he had a real respect for Edson Barboza, which he should have, and he was right to do it. And so he didn't, not that it was. it's risky to try and pass guard, but I think he really wanted to take his time. And... Honestly, I, I consider that a mature one as well. Now, to your point, going forward against other people, maybe he should be a little bit more active about pushing it. But I don't think he was trying to have scrambles with Edson where if you just miss one part in the scramble where your hand's supposed to be or something you were supposed to attach to and then they keep moving, now he's back on his feet. Now you got to take this fucking guy down again. I think he was trying to avoid that. And, dude, that's a rational call. That's a very rational call. So I understand the point. Comparing it to what Habib does, not accurate in the sense of, you know, how how punishing Habib can be. Fair enough. But that doesn't mean he didn't show you some very impressive things along the way because he did. What are your thoughts on the transgender swimmer competing in a woman's competition? Do you think it was wrong of the organization to allow this to happen? Considering the amount of public backlash. What's her name? Leah Thomas. I've not dug into that particular scenario very much. Um, I, I hesitate to make any comment about that particular one. Um, given my... Uh, you know, I just I haven't had time to look into it. I've been traveling and everything. Um, but we've talked about this a little bit before. I, I didn't really know what to make... I still don't know what to make of this because I think there's a lot... We still haven't studied about this. I've talked about this before. There is a gentleman on Twitter. What is his name? He's a doctor from South Africa. He goes by Science of Sport on Twitter. Yes, Ross Tucker. Ross Tucker is his name. Ross Tucker has done a lot of work on this, and his evolution on this is my. He's a uh, he's a professor of science, um, I think, in Cape Town. Uh, and has done a lot of advisory work for international sports governing bodies. We disagree probably a lot on anti-doping, but as it relates to this, I, I don't know who else to listen to because this is one of those things. Remember you guys asked me, like, what do you think about Jordan Peterson? And I was like, dude, I can't find anything on this guy that doesn't tell me he's either Jesus or Hitler. And it's like, I don't, I don't think either of those are probably accurate, so I don't know where to go to get like a... I, I literally don't know where to go to get someone who like doesn't hate him but doesn't love him can give me some kind of in-the-middle-of-the-road thing. It, and I, I kind of treated the transgender thing in sport for a long time that way because so much of it on either side is just insanely motivated reasoning, right? You have the people who are have turning into this moral panic. Apparently, there were like four transgender kids in all of Montana, only one competing in sports in high school, and they wanted to have some like you know giant fucking ban on this. And I understand the the impetus for fair play, but it's 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 hard for me to not see that you know. Society in America has been historically structured to discriminate against sexual minorities. We should be cognizant of that when we craft policy and think about situations like this. On the other hand, 
you know, Ross Tucker strikes me as inherently, I won't say unbiased, <clears throat> we all have biases, but inherently um, probably left of the political spectrum on issues like this, where people should just be able to live their lives however they want. And his argument is, dude, like the data that we have shows that, I think especially for post-pubescent males to female transitions, that hormone therapy and the various interventions that are undertaken to make any kind of um, switch um, they can make a difference, but they don't make up the difference between um, sort of what we understand to be the levels of comparison for, um, you know, let's say high-level competition males and females within a relevant sport or competition set. It doesn't undo all the advantages. It just doesn't. And so the question then becomes, what the fuck are you supposed to do about this? Like, Here's the other part I want people to think about. Do I, I, I believe Ross Tucker, and he has a whole podcast breaking down all of the studies about this. And I, I don't know, man. They have, again, I, I'm at the mercy of what I read and, and, and can find. The evidence seems very strong, very strong. Um, but here's the thing. like People just want to say, well, then transgender people can't compete in women's sports. Okay, fine. I, I, I don't, at least for the time being, that seems like one of the more um, prudent calls. But that's that's not the end of the story. The story should be like, okay, well, what do we do about people who have these situations who want to compete? I think if you want to promote that you're getting this issue right, you want to come down on what the evidentiary um, weight says. And then if it does say that exclusion in the for the purpose of sporting integrity is necessary... That's not exclusion from sports. That's just exclusion from those divisions. The relevant solution seems to me to find a place for them to compete. And I couldn't possibly tell you what that answer might be. And I recognize there's a growing need to figure out these issues. But just saying, well, you can't compete. Right. You can't compete with them. But I don't think it's okay to say that they just can't compete ever. Um, and maybe people say they should compete with the men, but if you're undergoing hormone therapy, that's not correct either, because now you have taken, um, you know, would you want to take the drugs that someone who is making a transition takes and then go compete in sports with other men? I certainly would not. I think that would be a significant disadvantage, but I understand that you can still retain a series of, uh, advantages thereafter. But there's also these other situations that we don't know a whole lot about, like what happens at, at transition at certain ages for certain sports at certain levels. We just don't really have a lot of information about this. So what I would say is there definitely needs to be a lot more studying that goes on about this, and there needs to be a lot more nimble um, crafting of policy around this because just saying, well, you can't compete with women, it, it, even if I'm sympathetic to that, and I am, I, again, I, I just think that's what the evidence shows. Just saying, oh, well, you just have to live on the fringe of society now. We just don't have a place for you in sports. That seems, I don't, I don't think that's the best organizing principle to solve this problem either. Um, we should, we should try to, to the best of our ability, we should try to accommodate them. But I did see something. In fact, someone tagged Ross Tucker in the thread and he just couldn't believe what he was reading. There was an argument that I saw that just seemed so fucking disingenuous. There was um, some some uh, lady, she had a PhD, and I, I don't know where she taught. 
she was arguing that women in sports does not need to be a protected class. Ross Tucker has argued extensively that it should be a protected class, right? Because if you don't have that as one and women and men are free to compete with one another, yes, there might be the occasional woman who is able to break through and compete with men under certain conditions. But in general, um, you you wouldn't get you wouldn't understand women would not have participation in athletics in any kind of meaningful way right not really again at the junior levels where they're you know very very young i've seen wrestling where you know girls compete with men and and, and you know when they're less than like 120 pounds even less than that like the 107s 108s i've seen that you know the, the, again there can be moments where that um, the intersection is totally reasonable um, but she was arguing, well, the reason why people argue that women should be a protected class is because when women were allowed to compete with men, and she gives a series of examples, that um, what it showed was that you know uh, the men had to shut the door on them because they were getting shown up. It's like, I don't even know what world this person is living in. Yes, I am certain that there, I think one of them was was archery. And in fact, um, years ago when I was in the Marine Corps, the number one shooter on the, on the, on the competition team in the Marine Corps was a woman. I can certainly again. I can certainly imagine there could be scenarios where, you know, I can absolutely buy that there was discrimination in sports. No doubt about it. That that seems completely reasonable. But like, does she really want to live in the world that she was advocating, where we drop barriers for gender and it's just made the best person win, and this is a boon to women's athletics? That seems. Totally wrong. Totally wrong. That doesn't seem even remotely correct. Again, with you know, I can see certain smaller kind of not saying that there's no athleticism involved, but one where there are many competing things, one of which is athleticism that you know, like a table tennis or something in the Olympics where I could see there being uh I could see there being a, a case for for dropping um gender guidelines or whatever they may be, but take, like, you know, oh, we're not going to have, we're just going to have soccer teams now, not men or women, you know, or American football, like, and I know that some women make the uh, the, the team for, uh, in college, for either kicking, special teams, other things, great, if they're the best ones out there, that's cool, that's fine, like, I'm not, I don't want to deny them any opportunity either, I don't think that's the solution, but what I'm saying is if we just decide that women's sports as a category doesn't need to be a protected class and that that would meaningfully improve women's sports, I think is lunacy. Absolute lunacy. That doesn't sound right. I mean, anybody who watches sports would know right away that sounds fucking insane. I think it's a lot of people who don't watch sports th- thinking things about that world that are not true. I mean, think about any strength sports, weight, Olympic weightlifting, swimming. Look at the differences in time, running, differences in time. Obviously, in fist fight, can you imagine, dude, men versus women fights because they don't need to be a protected class? Can you imagine that? <laughs> I mean, that's just, it's like it boggles the mind that someone could think that. But that, that's just what I'm talking about. There is so much motivated reasoning. So my argument is, I think the the best evidence that we have today, and he has a whole podcast on this, you know what I'll do in the comments after, I'll find it and I'll link it. You should really listen to it. Um, The best evidence tells us that for now, I understand why people don't want uh, transgender folks uh, who've transitioned from male to female to compete in women's sports. On the other hand, just saying, fuck off, we have nothing for you, I think is 
not the kind of society I would like to live in. Thoughts on the uh, DJ versus Rod Tang match? There's been a bunch of these over the years. Who was that guy, the Japanese guy? What was his name? It was like Yamaguchi. What was his name? He did a bunch of these. Um, he fought Shinyaoki and he got survived. It was like one round grappling. And then the next, I mean, Jerome LeBanner's done stuff like this too. All these guys have done stuff like this. Um, the, I, they're fine. They, they, here's the thing DJ is really good and Rod Tang's really good. Not every time, but a lot of times when you see this, like one guy is kind of good and then one guy is like not that great, but like he's from a different world of sports. So that crossover means that it's now more competitive than it otherwise would be. Um, but again, the end after it was over, here's my thought. I, I, I'm not hating on it at all. Like I'm actually looking forward to seeing it, but I don't like take a lot from it, you know? Um, probably DJ will... So, do mixed rules of one round Muay Thai, two rounds MMA intrigue you? Sure. Sure, it, it'll be fun. But it's more just a thing. It's a little gimmicky. Not in a bad way. It's a, like, this is what I've said about one. I don't know anything about their leader. I don't trust their leadership even a little. But the product that ultimately gets out there is, for the most part, pretty unique and, and good. This will be good. This will be good. But, like, what's its long-term significance? Eh, just sort of a fun thing to make use of the talent to get you to watch. No more, no less. You may all be able to hear my daughter. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> Having been around for UFC matchmaking as long as you have, what do you think is next for Gone? Aspinall? Winner of Blades versus Dawkins, or some involvement with John Jones Stipe situation. I'm gonna say I think the winner of Blades Dawkins, especially if it's Blades. Um, Gone getting his wrestling tested is now essential. Now we've had it tested in certain ways before, not like it's completely untested, but tested in the way that like a guy like Blades can test it. You know, relentless pursuit of it, or you know, pretty consistent round after round after round and he's you know level changing and pressing you into the fence and all that stuff we need we need to see that I would like to see Blades if, again now if Dawkins wins forget it but if Blades wins that's the one that's the one I said on fight night you know afterwards like that fight made sense to me I don't know what happened I don't know if Gon's taking time off I don't know what the situation is but I love that fight. I love Gon versus Blades because if Blades can get a win over a guy like Gon, it says a lot. And conversely, if Gon can fend off someone who has that athletic skill, that that particular kind of you know punishing game, I think it would be. Either way, you would learn a lot. Either way. <coughs> I'm sorry about that, y'all. <clears throat> Top pound, top three pound for pound actors of all time. Jesus, that's a. You know what? I've enjoyed the ones that most folks have enjoyed. I've enjoyed Pacino. I've enjoyed De Niro. I've enjoyed. Uh, um, almost said River uh, Phoenix. Um, Joaquin Phoenix. DiCaprio has been great. Um, Meryl Streep. <laughs> I mean, dude, 
you tell these people that you have like work to do and they just they don't care i mean it is what it is um <clears throat> so there's been there's been a there's been a number of great actors and actresses over time i have to tell you there was just i didn't even chime in because you know every time i say something like this people would just you know roll their eyes but there were people we were we were with showtime at cbs and they were like discussing best movies of all time and they were naming some of these names that with these people that you would might imagine like the godfather or whatever like what's the best movie of all time i'm not here to say that godfather isn't a good movie it's a tremendous movie but i've been on this like akira kurosawa kick I'm not saying that The Godfather isn't in the conversation of greatest cinematic works. Um, but, like, I don't know how you can watch his catalog of movies and come to the conclusion that, like, there's there's more than f- ten American films that could even compare. I mean, he is an absolute... It's You just can't believe the depth of craft. You just cannot believe the depth of craft. And so I mean this to say, I don't know the names of all the actors in his films, but he gets the most out of them. Let me assure you. And I know you're like, oh, Luke, going for the hipster pick. Y'all, please, just, I'm 42 years old. (laughs) Who am I trying to impress at this point? You know what I mean? Like, I've I've given my opinions on almost everything I possibly could give. I, I, I'm, I'm married. My career's okay. Like, who am I trying to impress? I'm just, I'm literally just trying to tell you what I like. And if you don't like it, then you don't like it. And I don't, it's fine. But just hear me out for a sec. You've got to watch, there's a few. Um, Seven Samurai is big. Dude, Ran is a, I don't know if I've seen another movie like Ran. When you watch someone make a movie as talented as as this guy was and you look at the result and you really examine it, you cannot believe the depth of layers in this movie from the way in which he directs to color choices, costume design, set design, sound design. Dialogue is just next fucking level. Character development, You, I mean... The, the what the 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 female um, she ends up being considered a traitor and the executor in the movie. I don't know who played her. You cannot believe how ice cold this woman was, and I it, it, by design, obviously, the, the way they wrote her, the way she acted it. It is one of the most ruthless performances I have ever seen. I I had to watch. I was up in the middle of the night watching it one time, and I was like gobsmacked watching this scene and they go and they basically execute her at one point which is not giving much away people say that it's basically King Lear made in a movie fine even if it is you have to see it and then the moral play and dilemmas and 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 everything uh, that is, is, is brought to fruition in the right moment guys I cannot explain to you enough if you can just get past the fact that these movies were made you know in many cases pre-1980 I'm not sure when Rand came out. I have to go see. When was Rand? I think 1982 or three. Um, 90, 1985. 1985. Um, who was the woman? Miko Harada. She plays Lady. Um, I don't know how to pronounce this in Japanese. Uh, Kaide. Dude, Miko Harada. <laughs> Fucking 
I can't, I cannot overstate this to you. I cannot overstate. You must go see this. You can rent it on Apple TV, Vudu, Google Play for $4. That'll be the best $4 in cinema you ever spent. I'm telling you. So I bring this up to say, when people ask me about great acting performances, certainly in the English language, I can tell you all the other ones that other people can tell you. But broaden your perspective just a little bit, just a little bit, and go check out Ran by Akira Kurosawa. An absolute masterpiece, start to finish. It will blow you. If you have any mind that is open, it will blow you away. And I, I got to tell you, with the first 20 minutes, I'm sitting through all this, and I'm like, okay, where is this going? Bitch, it goes. It, it goes. It will move you. It will truly move you. That movie is... It's I don't know how to explain it. It's the depth of Shakespeare with the cinematic glory of... Who would be something compar- comparable? Um, I don't. I don't know. I don't know about that. But but it's it's the most digestible Shakespeare you'll ever get. Because you would read Shakespeare and thee thou and allusions to this and the King of Denmark and all that nonsense. And you're like, what the fuck are they talking about? You can follow it here. You can follow it very easily here. And um, you know what? I've I brought this up before. Last thing I'll say on this. There's a YouTube channel. It's it's they haven't updated it in years. I think it's called uh what's it called? Every print, uh, every frame of painting. Let me see. Hang on. Hold on. Every Yes. Every frame of painting. You got to go. It's got almost 2 million subscribers off of 28 videos. He's got one in there about how Kurosawa uses movement and how he uses camera movement, character movement, um weather movement and a couple of other ones and how he deftly builds it all together every single scene of every single movie you just can't believe someone did this by the way he edited all his own movies and we're talking back in the 60s 70s and 80s Kurosawa uh, directed and edited all of his own movies you know hands-on in the best way possible dude I remember my dad telling me he didn't even know Japanese cinema was that good, and he saw Kurosawa the first time, and he was like, "Couldn't, couldn't, did, had no idea that cinema was this good." Because everyone just associates cinema with Hollywood, which you should, right? It's, it's the, you know, it's what it's the it's the straw that stirs the drink. But when you start to expand past just Hollywood, who's making good movies? I, I think director. Who, who, which director has made the most high-quality movies in terms of the overall catalog? Like, how many movies have they made and how many of them are high-quality? I think Kurosawa would be number one by a country mile. By a country mile. What do you think when it comes to ranking insane chins in MMA? Like, Roy Nelson barely seems to make the cut. Well, I mean, at the end there, his... Chin wasn't that great, but for a while it was unbelievable. Uh, best chins uh, for a time, Mark Hunt. No, I mean Noguera. <laughs> you know when Noguera's chin went to Roy Nelson. By the way, was with the foot of the fight where you were like, uh, okay, um, that's one that 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 might be the most impressive chin I've ever seen. I watched Noguera in his prime. This fucking guy, it was like punching cement. He he I I never seen anything quite like it. I don't think I've ever seen anything since. For heavyweights, that dude's chin was extraordinary. 
Uh, who else had good shins? For a while, Vanderlei did, but, you know. Uh, dude, a lot of the guys who had ended up with bad shins started out with good ones. Dude, how about this Rampage Jackson's chin? Go watch some of his pride fights. And I know, you know, Shogun put it on him there. It wasn't always perfect, but there was a lot of times people drilled him with heavy punches, and he just whoop, walk right through it. Just like no sweat, man. No sweat at all. He's got a rock chin. Um, Josh Near for a time was one of the lighter weight guys who got a rock chin. Um, you know, you mentioned Roy Nelson. Some of them, the bigger heavyweights got some good ones. There's a lot of guys that have had some pretty impressive stuff. Folks have asked, like, what's the science behind that? Some of that's a lot unstudied. The, the best studies that they have is neck musculature. And, you know, obviously some of that is also the ability to, like, kind of absorb it and roll with it a little bit. You know, because if you just take a clean shot, it almost doesn't matter how strong your neck is with a little bit of exception. But in general, you know, for the, for the overwhelming majority of people, if you get drilled with a shot you don't see coming and it's hard, you know, you're going to be in trouble. But it's been neck musculature, jaw musculature as well to a degree. But it's really what they say is that the it's the it's the almost like the whiplash effect. And when your muscles are like, for example, if you have a weak core, I've had a weak core at certain times in my life. Your body, the muscles don't do uh, nearly as much work, and so you, you can get bad posture. If you have a if you have a weak upper back, it will affect your posture. If you have a you know, or not you know a not when I say weak chin, uh, a weak a weak neck muscles. Uh, if, if it's not as strong as it needs to be given the task you are assigning to it, then you are obviously going to be in trouble. But that's why you see a lot of these fighters with thick necks. You know, Gilbert's neck was like out to here. They need that. You see a lot of boxers and wrestlers too. They work their neck side to side, side to side. They need that. They need that for sure. Um, so there could be more to the story. And some of that is genetic, how strong your neck is, how much you work on it, what's, what's your defense, blah, blah, blah. But that seems to be the our best assessment of what what defines what's a good chin and what doesn't. Thoughts on all the charges coming down for Chael and Masvidal. So the Masvidal one I certainly know about. I had to read about the Chael one. I know he got charged for a bunch in that hotel. I, I don't know more than that. I'd be commenting on things I don't know. Um, not a great look that you got a lot of MMA fighters in trouble. But Chael's situation seems to me... From what I know, a little different. I, I don't know enough. I don't know enough. What's up, Luke? I'm 37. <clears throat> God damn. I'm sorry, y'all. And started doing barbell training back in December. When doing high-intensity work sets on squats, I've been using a barbell cushion. I'm not sure what you mean by high-intensity. I'm a skinny guy with broad shoulders, so my traps aren't the biggest. You got to fix that. I've been actively actively working on my form, though. So I plan to ditch the cushion once I'm closer to intermediate. No, that's not right. Well, okay, we'll get to that. My question is, is this some ho shit like using workout gloves? Or could this be considered standard practice for a skinny washed novice like myself? What I would say is, number one, you need to get somebody who is an expert in these kinds of things, either a personal trainer or somebody else who knows, to look at your form. Because here is my guess. Okay, so number one, listen to what I'm telling you. Go get it. Go talk to an expert. First thing I'm going to tell you is that. Most important thing. You can actually forget everything afterwards. Based on what you are saying, my hunch is that you probably do have small traps and it can be painful for you. But one, there might be some mechanisms to either change high bar, low bar squat and how you grip it up and where you place it. 
Also, by the way, you could work on the rear part of your um, shoulders. Your rear shoulders will also serve a little bit in a, depending on how you um, uh, um, align the bar. Um, so that there could be a couple of mechanical fixes to this, but I, I think the biggest one is I bet your rack position needs work, right? <clears throat> Even women who uh, have far less musculature with a proper racking can give usually in almost the majority of cases can give enough of a platform for the bar to sit on. That's really what the traps are for in, in more than that, of course. But one of the primary functions that you guys should think about it is the traps. And when you, when you rack it this way, it should all be tight back there. Really, really tight, super tight. And the bar will sit on top of that musculature, the traps in, in particular, and like a shelf, <clears throat> like a shelf. <clears throat> That's the point of proper racking is that you you not only give the bar a place to sit, but that you have tightened all of the back muscles that you need to carry this load that is literally sitting on the top of your back, right? So you're, you're getting maximum tightness while creating a platform upon which the bar to sit. Obviously, there's more than that, but that's sort of a general way to think about it. When you put gloves on your hands for other lifts, or in this case, the pad on the bar, you are fucking up your racking. You can't rack properly. Now, there again, you might be a a different situation, a different scenario. You need to talk to someone in person who understands these. They can look at your mechanics. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> My throat is starting to hurt from all the talking. <clears throat> Give me a second, y'all. I'm sorry. I'm trying to battle through this. But that pad on your bar prevents this from being done correctly. And, dude, your elbows have to be placed in a certain position. You don't want your elbows way out high. You're trying to get them, you know, typically as vertical as possible. There's a lot of a lot of uh, variance there, too. But as long as you're racking with a pad on, you're never going to get that, that, that racking process correct. You have to do it without the barbell. Got to do it the right way. I've seen a lot of people do this in a different way. A lot of people will say, oh, I don't want to start jiu-jitsu. I want to get in shape before I start. Stop. Stop, 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 stop. If you want to accompany jiu-jitsu with a good diet program, you know, a strength and conditioning program, even if it's very simple, I'm going to walk, I'm going to run, I'm going to do push-ups at home, whatever. That's a great thing. Go do it. Who could say otherwise? But you should not wait to get in shape for jiu-jitsu. Like, what does that even mean? You know? What, well, how do you know you're going to be in shape? How do you know you're going to be ready? Dude, get in shape with jiu-jitsu. Just go. Just start. Oh, but Luke, I won't be able to finish the class. Okay. Well, then your first goal should be to make it through a class. And then the next goal should be to make it through the next day's class without having to worry. And, you know, you can spar and you can go two rounds without having to sit one round out. You can go three. You can go four. You can go five. You can go all the rounds without having to sit out. And then you just build and build and build. Do not wait. Same with this one. Talk to an expert. Have them look at your mechanics. Have them diagnose the situation. But my hunch is that as long as you got that pad on there, your racking position will never be correct. If Jack Slack's true identity were to come to light, how long would you think he'd have to flee England to go into hiding before Musasi <coughs> found him and strangled him? Yeah, he's not Musasi's biggest fan, is he? I like Slack. I think he's great, but... Yeah, he's not a big fan of Musasi, and uh, he's not a big fan of Bellator either. Luke, with the emergence of Hamzat Shavkat and Sean Brady, 
Does any division in the UFC have an impending murderer's row scarier than 170? Maybe 135? Maybe 135? Those names stand out, and so they, they, you know, that division has got the next influx of talent in the most, you know, amazing way. But dude, at one thirty-five, I just can't. T- I mean, you just look down to guys who are totally unranked. Like that guy's unranked. Jesus Christ! Is there a physical trait that correlates with some fighters having a better chin? Oh yeah, such as bigger neck muscles. There you go. Perfect. A thicker skull. I don't think the thicker skull thing bears out but they might they could that could be true i do know for sure the neck musculature is the predominant one but there could be a thicker skull one should social media companies publicly apologize for suspending accounts and censoring stories in relation to hunter biden laptop i'm less interested in their apologies and more interested in two things one stop doing that two Social media companies are just platforms. They might have an editorial slant by virtue of how they censor, but in general, that's what that's what they are. The bigger question is, where is the media accountability from the folks who spread that lie? That's the bigger part. And and there has been some. So I've seen a couple of scenarios of folks being like, eh, I got it wrong. Um, and the New York Times, to their credit, actually never said it outright, I don't believe, and then did say this well, a week ago, that, um, yeah, the thing is totally fabricated. <clears throat> fabricated. This idea that it's Russian disinformation. Uh, I would like to see Mia Culpas from the media institutions. Not the, the social media ones, yeah, whatever. But it's the, it, the the bigger issue is the media institutions themselves. And you folks have asked, like, what about media credibility? Dude, that's... you you got to come in here and say you got it wrong. How, how else do you build credibility? How else does the audience ever know that you're listening to them and listening to the facts and making... Dude, I mean, just the reality is, you might be, you might say in this particular sense it was an egregious error, and sure it was, but just understand something. At the end of the day, pick your media institution, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, whoever it ends up being. It's run by humans, right? And as good as their process might be, there are going to be errors inevitably. It doesn't matter what, what institution it is, a church, a newspaper, a restaurant, anything run by humans... The judicial system. It's going to be full of errors too, inherently by virtue of who is commanding it. So, so I don't expect perfection from them. It is not possible. What I do expect is when you get it wrong and you get it wrong so forth, so, so egregiously as they did here, there has to be some measure of, of recognition of that. Um, and it would go a long way for people like me to be like, right, I can trust these people. And they don't. They don't seem to ever want to do this. And then they wonder why people don't trust them. They don't trust them because they won't acknowledge. You know, did anything really actionable come from that laptop other than, you know, Hunter Biden and his sex life and and, and whatever drugs he might be doing, which is his fucking business? You know, I don't know. I don't think anything really meaningful came from it. But this idea that it was Russian disinformation and that's what experts said and we can consult the national security folks who are retired or not. And just take their word for it and then repeat these as stenographers rather than, you know, skeptical journalists. And then when we get it wrong, not say anything about it. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you're me and you make an Austin Vanderford pick over Musasi and it blows up in your face, dude, you got to go eat shit. You got to go eat shit. That's just the way that it works. Y'all will respect me more in the long run if I eat shit for those in front of you openly as much as I you know as is reasonable and then move on 
And I try to. And I'm sure I do a bad job of that in acknowledging all the things I get wrong. But I at least make an effort at it. You know, we have dead wrong on the show. And most people get wrong like, oh, you said it was UFC 232 and it's not 234. Okay, fine. Those are those are all wrong too. But like, you know, for the bigger stuff, you got you just you have to acknowledge it. You have to. You have to. You have to do it on some level, something. You got to do it. All right, one more of these and we'll go to the paid questions. Um, chance of a heavy hands collab. I've been on the show before. Um, collabs, I don't I do not do a whole lot of them, but I, I'd be open to it. Luke, I just watched the most recent MK where things got real between you and BC. How close are you to leaving the show <laughs> and getting a new partner in it? Not very. Dude, BC is my guy, man. We talked about it a lot after that show. We're good, man. We're good. We're two adults. Like, we're not going to agree on everything. And he doesn't like a lot of the ways I do things. I don't like a lot of the ways he does things. But in general, I don't have any problem with him. And then when we get sideways with each other, we, we, we try to work it out. It, it doesn't work if we don't solve the problem. If you just linger on your difficulties, nothing ever gets solved. Dude, we talked about it. We're good. Like, I'm, BC's the man. Um, actually, that trip down there was great. It was exhausting, and I got sick from it. But it was great. It was great. It was great. Of course, the, I got mad at him on Monday's show, but it was, you know, we had a very productive trip thereafter. I'm not close to leaving anything. Neither is he. All right. Let's take a look at your paid questions. That's a reminder. Put that on. All right. Let's see. Oops. Let's see. All right, I got a good look at him here. Very good. Okay, again, if you want to leave a donation in the paid platform, I'll get to it here. All right, let's check these out. Man, there should be a shitload of them. All right, here we go. You said before that the current owner of Arsenal ruined the team. How so? Thinking of making them my team since the merch is easy to get stateside. Stan Kroenke? Stan Kroenke treats Arsenal like a vanity project, not like the people who, when Thierry Henry was there, and they were the Invincibles. And there is a lot of fans who are not happy being top six, top eight in the league. I'm not sure where they sit this year. But there's been a lot of years where that's where they sat, or at most top four or something like that. You know, and before, I correct me if I'm wrong, I don't watch the Premier League, so someone might dead wrong me on this one, but I think it used to be the case with Arsenal was kind of like the big brother of Spurs, and that's not the case um, anymore, not at all. And so, while he has built the Rams into a winning franchise, certainly, uh, or, you know, paid for them to be one, he has not done that with Arsenal. How much, if you had to guess, do UFC commentators get paid per pay-per-view events and fight night events? Would you estimate the median pay range? I'm going to guess based on what I know from what I've seen. There are some people in the industry, I know how much they make. So I'm going to guess. Um, Rogan, I don't know, because he's such a unicorn. Your annex and your... And your other commentators? Anywhere from 20 to 50K an event? Something like that? 20 to 50K an event? Probably a little bit less for the fight nights for, um, for you know, the commentators when they're not doing pay-per-view or whatever, like something like that. 
but I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if it was higher. I bet. I bet Joe makes six figures a show. I mean, that's hard to know. I don't really know. He's again. He's so unique. It's hard to know. Um, but I definitely know of commentators that get sometimes seventy five k a show to do it. So if you, it's good money if you can get it. Um, and I know. By the way, their contracts work all in different ways too. So for example, sometimes they get paid flat fee per show, whatever it is. Um. And by the way, it can be a lot less too. Like I've seen a lot of people who were on TV and had good contracts. They were getting sometimes 5K. They were getting 10K, 15K a show. But for your more senior ones, it seems like 20K and up is about where it goes. And then for the really famous ones, it can go above 50K, 100K, something like that. Uh, But I've seen it where they get paid per event. And I've seen it where they get paid on retainer, even if there isn't an event. I've I've seen both of those. So, you know, if you can get, obviously getting to the top of any profession is insanely difficult, but the very high end for boxing and MMA, they can make pretty good money. It's pretty good money. What is off limits during trash talk? Only family and religion, e.g. insulting my character is worse than insulting my religion. Trash talk at your peril. Also, if family is off limits for Jorge, then why sucker punch Leon? Listen, here's the thing. All of these things were like, he talked about his kids. Well, no, he didn't talk about his kids. He kind of talked... These are these are stupid conversations. They're not worth having. Okay, there's two conversations worth having. One is anything Colby said entitled, legally speaking, Jorge Masvidal to do what he is alleged to have done. Nope. So that's one conversation. On the other side, I mean, just think about this. Like, oh, you can talk about me. You could say that. You know, you could say you can say I'm the worst person in the be dead be dad, but don't talk about my kids. It's like, dude, all of that is fucking terrible to say about someone. What is what is what is over the line? What over the line is? I mean, there is a sort of a general sense of decency that people not involved not be talked about. But these are all like, there's no rule about this written down in the Bible. These are just all arbitrary social conventions. Like, you, the only thing that matters is what you're comfortable with, what you're willing to do. And understanding the, the the consequences of all of that. Like if you don't promote yourself in a way that is sort of brash, you may not sell a lot, and that's a consequence you have to live with. If you discuss something about one person or about another or about their children or not or whatever, uh, this may enrage them. Now, Colby did something where I think he, he found everyone's individual line and then decided to go past it. I mean, does no one rem- forget that Robbie Lawler didn't talk any shit at any point ever and Colby wins, and they put a microphone in his face, and the first thing he says is he makes fun of Matt Hughes for getting hit by a train. <laughs> you know, individually catering to the situation, figuring out whatever that line either could be or is, and then, like, avowedly stepping across it. This is what I mean about, like, you cannot be surprised that it, it wasn't sunny every day and that one day it rained. Dude, this is, you know, uh, it, it doesn't make it right. It just makes it a reality. That's it. So what's the line? All, n- none of the shit Colby said entitles Jorge to punch him in the face in public that way. Again, allegedly. None of it. Not one of it. Zero part of that entitles it to it. But in the real world, individually, finding every single scenario you could with a rival or whoever... And being as mean-spirited and awful as you could, or pretty close to it, you know, what is the line? It doesn't matter. 
There is no single line. These are all just made-up conversations. Well, you can talk about this kid and not that kid. Well, he's 12 and he's 3, so you can kind of make fun of the 12. But not th- All of this is nonsense. It's just nonsense. None of it has any legal uh, value for, for allowing the behavior. And it doesn't matter anyway since Colby just individually tailored his, his agitation. Luke, rumor has it that John Jones received a two-year USADA suspension, and because of a new non-disclosure rule, it has remained private. Do you think there might be any validity to this? You mean there are there are rumors on the internet, and you're asking me to validate them? Like, would it surprise me if he made yet another poor decision and something bad happened? No. Like, how could that surprise anybody? But short of there being presented evidence for this, this is just rumor-mongering. I know you in MMA, you said the jab is the most underutilized tool. However, I think it is cage resetting. Only ones I see using it are Izzy, John Jones, and Gus. Do you agree? Well, no, there's a lot of people that cage reset more than that. But to your point, I do think that's a great observation. Oh, who was it? Where's my phone? I got to give this guy a shout out. He had a great point. I think it was last week's chat where I had said I didn't quite understand why, you know, for example... Jack, oh no, you know what? It was on um, extra credit. Jack Shore versus Timor Vilaev. What did you notice in that fight? Vilaev is a mover. He's changing levels. He's going side to side. He's faking. He's fainting. He's doing all this stuff. He's moving a lot. And then when he strikes, he lands maybe one or two, sometimes three, but then he exits. He moves a lot. What did you notice when Jack Shore began to corner him in the second and especially in the third round? When he got cornered, especially when he was close to the fence line, he just kind of stopped. I mean, he moved a little bit, but he, he, he stopped. His entire mode of fighting switched. He went from all of this, bop, 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 gone, to this. It's a different fight at that point. It's a completely, I mean, it's the same person, but it's almost a different opponent. Why do I bring this up? Have you noticed Adesanya does not fuck with that shit at all? He gets put up against the fence. He usually finds a way to angle off or control, maybe land a couple, and then get away. And then what does he do? Whoop, resets right to the center. He doesn't play that game. You're right. John Jones does the same thing. They don't play that game. Now, you can see guys like Tyson Fury, and what do they do, right? You saw it against the auto, in the Otto Valin fight. Otto Valin was kind of chasing him with punches. Tyson Fury, you know, big as a house, but also tall and smart and crafty. With the ropes at his waist kind of lower back, he can... Lean away from him, and the punches come right in front of him. And he can lean and get away. You can't do that with the octagon. You get right up against it, you're flat. So you have to stop the fight there, control it, and get the fuck away. And the very, very... Robert Whitaker, same thing. That's what he got dropped in the first, and then after that, in that fight, he wasn't playing that game anymore. You, you can fight on the back foot, for sure. You can fight along the fence line if you're very crafty, and he's crafty, for sure. But what you see is a lot of people, when they get pushed up against the fence... It shouldn't have. It shouldn't be as impactful as it is, and it is. And I had brought up. I didn't know how they were training, if training in the cage, or if their cage in their gym is too small. This guy wrote me, and I thought his point was absolutely excellent. <clears throat> Let me give you his name. I'll give you his uh, handle. Um, his handle is the Burrito Sensei. Uh, that's his name. His name is Kyle. Here's what Kyle wrote me. This is so smart. 
Luke, I'm listening to you talk about why fighters seem to have issues when dealing with distance. We're talking not like just between them. We're talking about behind them. You speculated it was cage size, and if they are utilizing the wrong size, I believe, and this person writes, by personal experience and anecdotal evidence, that it is because most fighters get their sparring in on open mats. Most gyms I've trained at have large mat space, same for me, and padded walls with maybe a cage section. Very true. I'll get to that in a minute. I believe this leads fighters to feel comfortable retreating often in longer lines than a cage would allow. Cages are expenses, expensive, excuse me, and only the largest gyms generally have them. With that, only top guys get in it. So I would say that's a great point. I took having a cage for granted. Understanding you have to have the space for a cage. And also, here's something you might not appreciate. I remember when cages first started getting put in MMA gyms because that wasn't always a guarantee either. What you would notice was after a few months, the cages would look pregnant, right? The cage panel. Because so many guys would press into it and press into it and press into it from just training and whatever else that the cage would kind of bow out on the on the end the ends and have this big old barriga, right? A big old beer belly. And so not only do you have to have space to put a cage, fairly regularly you have to replace the the panels. Now there might be some new uh, technology with fences that with cage fences that are a little bit different, but that was definitely a huge problem for a lot of gyms for a long time. So they would often have like, you know, just a single cage panel so you could practice your wall walking. I think that he might be right. I think he might be right about the open mats. I've seen it a lot too. In jiu-jitsu, it's different because you compete on a big mat space, you train on a big mat space, so it doesn't really mean a whole lot. You're not really taking down people with walls anyway. But why are people in MMA, when they get backed up, changing their fight style completely? And there has to be a reason a big part of it might be the space in which they train, giving them a false sense of who they are in all contexts. Do you think Illa planned that run-in with Patty? Cameras were out already like they wanted to go viral. Could be. Didn't seem like a genuine run-in. Yeah, people run into each other on fight week more than you might imagine. But you're, who the hell knows? I mean, all this stuff, is, you know, what the line is, I don't know anymore. Do I think that Ilya Tapuria wants to fight him, either for monetary gain or revenge? Not a doubt in my mind. Are there any reliable predictors of regional hegemony uh, in MMA? For example, prior to the Dagestani's dominance across the sport, were there any indicators that they'd have such an emphatic presence? You know, I got to tell you, the early, the early Russians in MMA, like, you know, early, early, early 2000s, were not super impressive. Even the ones that came from Sambo, they just weren't that great. Um, the thing you're looking for is, and again, certain populations based on general trends might make this a little bit more difficult to come by, right? You're not going to get too many Chinese heavyweights um, in, you know, uh, in MMA. You'll get some, obviously. You won't get a lot of um, Honduran heavyweights. You know, you'll get some, obviously. Populations that tend to run a little bit smaller in size. But the thing I always look for is, you know, one, what kind of role does combat sports play in society? How popular is it? How popular are the composite sports? Um, what are the participatory rates? What are the state-run programs around it? Um, and the other one I look for is how diverse are the fighters? I don't mean racially. What I mean is, for example, like why is Brazil a powerhouse? Well, partly it's a cultural thing that they kind of adopted MMA and soccer and it's grown to be, you know, sort of weaved into the fabric of what they do. Obviously, jiu-jitsu in many ways comes from Brazil. Uh, not exclusively, but you get the idea. But 
like if someone asked you, well, where in MMA are Brazilians good? Like what weight classes and, and you know, everything else, what would you say? You'd say everywhere. From 125 to 35 to 45 to 55 to 170 to 185 to 205 to to heavyweight, women's 105, 115, 125, 135, hell, even 145. Brazilians are everywhere. They are everywhere. What does that tell you? When you have men and women, little and big, all producing in general, world-class talent, it means that culturally you have these recruiting forces and you have these gyms and these development programs to make use of it. All of that speaks to what kind of value the larger society places on this and what people's preferences are. That's what you're looking for. That's why the Japanese for a long time were, you know, it was a power, it still is a very, you know, important force, but it was a powerhouse, dude, because you had women's promotions, men promotions, and yeah, men's promotions. And yes, you had your Fujita who wasn't the best heavyweight, although, you know, when he fought Fedor, that was the big promise, right? You could get a Japanese heavyweight champion and he rocked Fedor. And Pride really thought for a second there they were going to have a Japanese heavyweight champion, which just would have been huge. Um, but what that, they had, just they could fill out so many divisions with so many good guys. That tells you about about not only do the society value it, but what institutions and systems have they created around those preferences to keep that beast alive. That's what you're looking for. And obviously, you know, the Russians, uh, you know, I, I don't know about the women's side of the game. That's a little bit, you know, uh, a knock on my uh, theory of things. But in terms of the other parts... You know, from one, all, the smallest weight classes to the biggest, filling that out, the the the, the attention to composite sports, a little bit more on the striking side for Brazil than and obviously jiu-jitsu, but also wrestling. All of those things kind of speak to the general preference. Colby's win, Colby's prior wins in the past five years have been against thirty-seven-year-olds on losing streaks, except RDA, and now he's calling out Dustin, who has a poor takedown defense and never fought a welter. Am I crazy to think Colby's resume is overrated? It's not now, but it might be soon. I agree with you. Like calling out Dustin, calling out Adesanya and shit. It's like, I get those are bigger fights money-wise. And again, you can live your career however you want. But doesn't give you, doesn't tell us how you do against the current crop of welterweights very much. Weekly contribution to the Luke Lettuce maintenance. Do I have some on me? I think I do. I'm not going to smoke it. Although I would. I'm not opposed to it. But I'm not going to do it. This is the pen I'm using now. The pen will set you off nice and nice and easy. So thank you, by the way. Comedian Burt Kreischer, known for drinking and taking his shirt off, thinks he could beat Stylebender in a fight. This motherfucker high. But the rules are that Stylebender must drink with Bart, and then they spar, or Burt. And then they spar. Who wins? Well, it depends how much they drank. I would still favor Adesanya to beat the living fuck out of him. Who wins just based off skills, not weight? Pete, Peter versus Colby? So not weight? Peter Yan. Rob versus Habib? Ooh. Habib. Hamzat versus Islam? I don't know. I'll say Islam, but I don't know. I don't know how good Hamzat is. Usman versus Rob, I'll say Usman. GSP versus Habib, oof. I'll still say Habib, but that's controversial. Roided Johnny versus Usman, Usman. Marab versus Armin, Armin. Although Marab's gas tank is just a thing of beauty. 
Anderson versus Francis Anderson. I watched Pride Grand Prix, Fi- Grand Prix Finals 2000 and the third place finishers, two fights in a night, got 25K. It's sad fighters made more 22 years ago than Patty. And dude, you know what's amazing, man? Every time John Nash posts about that or even I post about it, there's always some bootlicker in the comments being like, oh, this is the manager's fault. Dude, what the fuck do you want the manager to do? You are their manager. What are you, Game this out a little bit. What are you going to tell them? Think about all the abuse that uh, Francis's manager got just for being like, hey, I don't think this guy who is the, the best heavyweight in the world right now and their champion is getting paid a lot. What the fuck you think? da 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 Every time there is some bootlicker in there saying, you know, that's why the UFC deserves all the money and all this bullshit. You know, UFC deserves a healthy chunk of it, obviously, but all of it, I, you know, no. And then they'll say, you know, what's, what's, you know, it's the manager's fault. What is it you expect the manager to say? What position can one fighter take if, if it is true? And I, I believe that it is true. We'll see what the court says. If it is true that the UFC actually is a monopoly, what can what, 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 who are these people that have not lived in the real world? What are you going to say to the UFC as a manager that will actually produce meaningful results? Or what what can you do with one fighter, two fighter, three fighters, whatever you you know? When you're, and you can have twenty fighters. What what are you going to do? You're going to keep them all out. All you can do is sit out, but they can just work around that, and they can't sit out because they don't make enough to sit out, or you know they don't want to lose the time in their career. You are structurally fucked. You can kind of play at the margins a little bit. There's not much you can really do. This is why for a lot of fighters, it doesn't make sense to have a manager. I'm not sure what value they really provide in a lot of cases. Some cases, they can be valuable, and you know, especially for Adesanya, where the UFC really wants his services. They don't want him to go to you know, a belt or when his contract is up. They can play with that a little bit. But if they want to play hardball, they're not gonna, that's not going to work. Um, so the point I'm trying to make here is, for a lot of fighters, just getting an attorney to read your contract, when you begin to graduate and you really you can you have a little bit of room to play with, then it makes a little bit of sense. But people being like, "Oh, well, you know, Patty in his second fight, his manager should have done." What the fuck is his manager gonna say? <laughs> no, we don't like this. Okay, see you on the next card, bitch. That's what they'll say to him. Or you know, whenever you're ready, you let us know. You guys have heard Dan- they're not gonna budge at all. That's why there have to be other changes. To get the money where it's supposed to go. Someone says, keep up the great work. Thank you, sir. Uh, what's the, what is your tattoo, the one next to the DC flag? I haven't really talked about it, but I'll, I'll show you guys very quickly. It's the letter V. So it's for my daughter. Um, basically, what I did was I went to this guy who was really good in black and gray. And I asked him, I, I didn't have any design in mind. I just went to him and I said, design something. I, I mean, I had planned to go to him. We had, you know. I had booked him months in advance. In fact, the first time I was going to go book him, and I booked him to go to go get the tattoo, my wife got COVID all of a sudden. Um, mildest case you've ever seen, but we couldn't travel with it, so then I had to reschedule. So I, I had followed this guy's work for a long time. It's uh, it's I think it's called Monkey's Tattoo in Cartagena, Colombia. Anyway, it's the letter V, and you guys won't recognize this, but if you know anything about pre-Columbian history, you'll recognize some of the imagery here. He just asked me, "What do you want?" I just said, "I want the letter V. I want you to interpret it." And he's like, "Well, what, what, what would you? What kind of design functionality do you want?" I'm like, "Just this moment here. Here I am in Colombia, being tattooed by you, um, for my daughter, who of course is half. Um, come up with something." And that's what he came up with. I like it. I don't love it. Um, it's cool. It's cool. 
but I'm, I'm going to get a lot more tattoos. So just another one on the list. With Colby talking about Izzy, what are some matchups where lighter non-champs could give the champ a run for their money? Off the top of my head, there's Peter Volk. That'd be a fun one. Obviously, Triple C coming back. Habib Usman, yes. Cannoneer Teixeira. I still think I still think Izzy's not done at 205. I grant that he has to get some muscular buildup to really make use of it all, but I think he could do a lot with it. I think um, I don't think Rob at 205 is a good idea. He seems a little small. Let's think about that. Max at 155. I don't know about the punching power. Jose Aldo at 145. We already know the story there. Um, Hamzat is changing weight classes a lot. A lot of those guys who could probably bump up a little bit. Jorge keeps alleging that Colby talked about his kids when in fact he never has. Are we really fucking doing this? He's alleged he's a terrible father and husband, but seems complimentary of his family. Why is this underreported? Because it's a fucking... I mean, guys, these are grade school, like, you were so-and-so said in the parking lot. None of this shit. I understand. Listen, if someone called me a deadbeat dad, I'd be enraged about it. Talking about my kid would probably be worse, but that would hardly be a good thing. None of what Colby said whether he insulted the kids or not, was good. None of what Colby said was nice. And a lot of it was super shitty things to say, especially for a former friend. Just a total lack of decorum or, you know, decency. I mean, that's the one thing Colby has not been. He has not even been remotely decent. Maybe to law enforcement and first responders and all the people he thanks all the time. Certainly he was nice to me. But in terms of how he has talked to his rivals I mean, and, 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 and the people around them, he has been I mean, making fun of Matt Hughes for getting hit by a fucking train. You know, and calling Woodley and his political views terrorism and t- terrorism. Total fuck. I mean, the fact that he may or may not have been as shitty to his kids as he could have been or whatever. These are irrelevant details. No one in their right mind could say he didn't purposely go out of his way to fuck with everyone around him. He he 100% did. By it was a it, not only did he it was a calculated decision to do that for self-aggrandizement. So whether he talked about the kids like this is some fucking rule that oh, well okay you, didn't, you you called me a dickless loser who uh is hated the world over but you didn't say anything about my 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 5-year-old. So what? Yeah, that would be worse. Okay, that'd be a lot worse. This is still pretty fucking bad, man. So none of that entitles Colby to be hit, but it's also like a very silly thing to be like, well, he didn't exactly talk about the kids. He just kind of said he was a deadbeat dad. Dude, all the other shit he has said has been more than enough ammunition to piss off the world to the point where they want to sock him in the grill for it. They shouldn't do it. Doesn't mean they're not gonna. What do you think about making Cody Garbrandt versus Marlon Marais? Oh, Jesus. I don't know. Uh, I think it was your O'Malley breakdown that you added a disclaimer about it being film study and not fighting advice. Is there a story behind that? Yeah. Did Donks complain after getting curbed? No. Quite, quite, quite the opposite. Uh... If I do one of those videos, sometimes they don't do that well. They do 15,000 views. Sometimes they blow up and they do 100,000, 2, 3, 4, 500,000. They can do a lot sometimes. The bigger ones I noticed, and this was off the Tyson Fury one, 
the biggest ones I've noticed gets people to send me their footage of themselves training or fighting. Hey, what do you think about this? Dude, please talk to your coach. And if you don't think your coach has anything to say, then why the fuck are you with him? Go find a coach where you can trust. It's, it's, it's tape study. It has some value, but it's not me teaching you how to fight. That's not what that is. It's me showing you things that happened in a contest and trying to explain what might be relevant and what what isn't and how you can better understand what they were doing. It's not, oh, I can pick that out and now I can go and use that. No, 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 no. That's not what that is. If Certainly if you want to ask me a question, you can email me at any time. You guys know my email address. If you don't, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. You can ask me questions. I will try to give you the best good faith. But what I don't want is people sending me their footage and being like, hey, what do you think I should use in my fucking Muay Thai amateur fight this weekend? Please do not do that. I'm not that guy. And even if I was that guy, I still wouldn't do it because that is the job of your coach. And again, if you can't trust your coach to do that, don't know why you're with them. You should be at a place where you can trust the coach and that's the only person I want giving you advice or another MMA coach or something like that. Do not come to me for that. It's tape study. It's valuable. It's different. Ever thought of doing watch-alongs? I've done some. I plan to do more. P.O. Box. Um, I have an announcement for tomorrow. I have a video coming out that's going to announce something. I'll put that in there. I don't have it offhand, but yes, I do have one now. And I know some people have been trying to reach me forever. I do have one now. I do have one. How many wins in a row, in your opinion, would it take for the following fighters to be considered the GOAT in their weight division? Usman? Two more? Three more? Oliveira? Shit. A lot more than five. Volk? Four to five. Till? Ten. Hamzat? All of them. I mean, we're way too early. When you and BC finally go the way of Jorge and Colby, <laughs> who's sucker punching who in the steakhouse? As funny as it is that he always says he's going to choke me from behind, I'm actually the one who would sucker punch him. I mean, I wouldn't, but in this scenario, I would. I know you primarily like uh, traditional tattoos, but you should check out Embassy Tattoo. One of my boys tattoos there. I used to train with him. I used to train with him. So I, I've been meaning to check it out. I just haven't yet. Two of my favorite styles of tattoos are American traditional and Japanese traditional. Um, for a lot of reasons, I, I, I just love the creative aesthetic of them. But more than that, I've told you guys this before, they're timeless. They're timeless. All these people getting like since 1992, like whenever they were born, like right here in the center of their chest. That shit's going to be whack in like five years. You know what I mean? And I, I by the way, I've got some bullshit tattoos that I got to get covered up too. Because I've made, I have made these mistakes. Believe it. People ask me for tattoo advice. Here's a bit of advice. Learn the tattoo art forms. Traditional, neo-traditional, black and gray, American traditional, Japanese traditional, and there's a fucking million other of them. Learn them. Then decide within that which one best fits your aesthetic. You know, portrait realism is another one. And what you want to get. And then find someone who specializes in that. Book an appointment, have a consultation, and then go. That's the best way to do it. And and save money. Don't cheap out on it. 150 bucks an hour is the going rate. You should prepare for a four-hour tattoo, you know. 
Taporia versus Saryukian. What is your initial feeling on this matchup? Wow. Saryukian would have to get the takedown, but he might be able to do it. That might be a little bit too much because he's a strong 155er, and Taporia, I still think, is probably better suited at 145. People ask me this. What percent of UFC do you think regularly uses PEDs? I don't know. Do you think that percentage is lower than in other organizations with less stringent testing? Yeah, it's probably a little bit lower in places where they have good um, unions that intentionally make anti-doping less than what it ordinarily would be. So yeah, do I think that people are using drugs way more in the NBA? Sure. My hunch is that there's still probably enough drug use in the UFC to still be a big problem. But clearly, if you have a union downgrading rules to protect you for usage it would just sort of rationally stand that that would be a place where you're going to get more of it. And they have more money. They have more money to get designer shit. What would happen if a male UFC fighter transitioned into female? Would she continue fighting men? I th- I don't... I mean, UFC might release them. Might not give them a fight. I don't know. Or would they move her to the female side? I don't think so. Would they somehow void her contract? My guess is they would void the contract. Or just release her from it or whatever. Do you think the over-reliance on being quick to call someone the greatest of all time in such a young sport actually devalues that designation? It doesn't devalue the designation as much as it makes the conversations around it futile. Your take on the Brittany Griner situation. She's a political prisoner. And do you think she has a chance at release or is there going to be another one? You know what she does? Did you see what she got caught for? She got caught for this. Right? She put this in one of her bags. Now, I don't know which bag, but I can tell you, not, not when I fly international, but when I fly domestic, I put this in my bag with all my toiletries. I put this in my carry-on, right? I do have a medical card, obviously. Um, so, you know, it's legal for me, although certain states may or may not recognize that, but certainly I do have a, a doctor prescription for it. I put this so I don't put any, you know, lithium or ion batteries in my care, in my uh, check baggage. I put this in the check baggage and I just travel with it. That is exactly what she did. Now, I don't know if she put it in her carry-on. I don't know if she put it in her, how they discovered it, but they clearly found it and decided to make an example out of her. The part that's interesting about it is, uh, interesting is not, maybe not the right word. The part that is sort of stands out to me is, I don't know if you guys know this. <clears throat> she would play in Russia for she's been playing in Russia for years. When her WNBA season is over, she goes and plays in the women's league over there and she's making a million dollars a year, which is four times what she makes in the WNBA. So she's balling out by going to Russia. Do you think this is the first time she took one of these there? Do you think that? I don't think that. I think she's probably been taking these to Russia this whole time and it was never an issue. Now still, I would not recommend doing that especially for uh international flights you know do everything at your own risk so please don't listen to me but the point i'm trying to make here is people do this all the time and i guarantee she had done it before i guarantee she had done it before uh they just decided that this time it was going to be a problem and she's a political prisoner and i don't know what it's going to take to get her out if you haven't seen them you might enjoy parasite saw it park chan wook's old boy saw it Two thumbs up. Amazing movie. Thoughts on flipping the script on Wheel of Death and making BC spin? We've talked about it. We've talked about it. We're going to do it. Um, If an American wanted to train striking abroad, whether it be Thailand, Holland, or New Zealand, which striking gym would you recommend and why? Depending on their striking style. If they wanted to get and then what sport they're in. 
So if they wanted to get traditional kickboxing, certainly Thailand would be a place. Holland would be a great place. If they wanted to do some boxing, I might send them up to Philly. Um, I might send them up to, I mean, there's all kinds of great boxing gyms in the UK, right? There's a million of them. Uh, if they wanted to learn you know, more modern MMA striking and it didn't really matter where you could go, yes, of course, New Zealand would be on the list. Um, Javel Cordero's, uh, Cordero's gym would be on the list. TriStar would be on the list. There's, I mean, there's a lot of places you would go, but it's not about which gym has the best striking. It's which sport. Is it boxing? Is it kickboxing? Is it bare knuckle? Is it MMA? Okay. What's your style? What, what kind of style do you incorporate? Who's the best to accommodate that? Now let's pick it. It goes like that. Let me see if there's any other, and then we'll call it a day here. My throat is fucking killing me. Oh, Jesus, there are more. I am appreciative. I'm about to die here. Uh, what is the historical significance of the tattoo, Luke? I'm also married to a Colombian from Bogota. Not sure what the historical significance of the design is. Show it to him. They'll know. Tell him it's from the pre-Columbian money. It's actually from pre-Columbian history, um, um, an old money. In fact, um, it was reproduced on some modern money. They'll know. What is your response when people say fighters know what they're signing up for when addressing low fighter pay? Well, it's sort of true, but irrelevant. Right? <laughs> the, the point is not that they, they, they signed up for it. Well, then, then you can just do whatever you want. People will sign up to be for any number of humiliating or demeaning things especially if they're desperate, that's not, consent is not the end of the conversation. The question is, what consent did they offer in what context? And if you have a monopoly, a monopoly that can control the market so that you have to consent to unfair contracts, yeah, no shit they signed it. That's not the question. The question is not what did they consent to, although it's part of it, it's part of it. The broader question is, in what market environment did they make those concessions? Now, that's the question, isn't it? People will consent to anything. Kids had to work in fucking mines until we made it illegal in this country. You ever seen pictures of old child labor? It's horrifying. It's hor- and, and there were accidents, kids getting their limbs mauled, taken off in threshers on, in, 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 on uh, in, you know, work cropping tobacco. They consented to it. Fucking teenagers too, 16-year-olds, 18-year-olds, whatever. They all consented to it. That doesn't, that's not the end of the conversation. It goes far beyond that. What would a Habib versus Demi and Maya fight look like? I have wondered that my whole, my, my whole life, but for a long time I have wondered that. It's a great question. I do not know. It, he would pull guard, right? And so then the question is, what does Habib do from guard? Because Demian knows if he goes to turtle, that's where the punishment begins. So what does that look like? I don't know. Would today's version of Canelo be to prime Roy Jones at 168? I don't think so. It's a good question. What about Joe Calzaghe and Andre Ward? I was... See, BC's high on Ward versus Canelo. It seems like it's a little bit past now, but like Ward is the one that I look at and I'm like... Calzaghe was undefeated or whatever, but Ward is the one that I look at and I go, ooh, how would he do with that? That's an interesting one because Ward fought Kovalev. Well, I'm not going to say Kovalev. The version of Kovalev that Canelo got was a, a bit of a downgrade from the one that Ward had to fight. I'll put it that way. Am I overthinking it or does Bellator give MK very little shine? 
Considering the parent company and MK is one of the few pods that discuss their fights, I'm not really looking for Bellator Shine. If they would like to give it, that's nice. I treat it the same way I would the UFC. Hey, man, sometimes the UFC, they don't do it anymore. But for a long time, they hit us up and like, hey, can we have a couple of these clips for the countdown show? And we always said yes. We appreciated them asking. We are happy to give it to them. Cool, man. Like, no problem. But if they don't, like, okay, they don't. Looking for promotions to promote us Yes, it's nice. I, I will take it on occasion. I'm certainly happy to have it. I don't wake up looking for it. Never. How can Masvidal punch Leon, then Colby outside of the cage, but Paul Daly gets fired on the spot after punching Josh Koscheck Because he punched him at a time when everyone thought MMA fighters were scoundrels and deviants and the sport was human cockfighting. And Dana White... You can, you can agree or disagree with whether he had to send a message, but he thought he had to send a message, so he did. It was the context at the time, not the infraction symmetry. It, the asymmetry is between now, where it's on ESPN, and Connor's getting arrested, and Jorge's getting arrested, and Jail's getting arrested. I don't know that the average fan cares. Back when Paul Daly did that, I also think there was a bit of a moral panic going on. But the UFC was very attuned to that panic and did not want to get sideways with it. When he did that, they were like, that's it. It was a different time. MMA fans have problems with racism spewed by fighters. I think they need to get off their high horse. I don't think being mad at racism is, is uh, a function of country club class warfare. It's not what that is. I feel like a street fight is what makes Jorge a superstar when they know when he sucker punched Leon it was celebrated yeah because he did it inside of a venue where they don't really do that sort of thing or like you know it's it's like a weird gray area would it benefit Patty Pimblett to get through his contract quickly to test free agency and potentially leave the promotion no not necessarily but you can see why he's wise to not fight tough guys on this contract first journalist who talks objectively about Colby Covington I don't talk objectively there's no such thing but I try to talk as fairly as I can <laughs> how much heat you packing down there what about BC I don't know whether you're talking about firearms or something else but I'm going to leave that alone alright I think that's it um, here you go how about this guys how about this I don't know if there was any technical difficulties today maybe I'll look and someone later will tell me that there was but Seem like this was a better one today, right? I'm, I'm, I'm trying, guys. I'm really sorry about last week. I hope this week was better. Thank you so much for watching. I greatly appreciate it. Announcement coming tomorrow. Be on the lookout for it. And uh, I will get you that Ross Tucker study. Well, the Ross Tucker podcast about all the various studies on transgender uh, athletes and sports. I'll make sure you guys all have that so you can make a judgment call about it just the same. Thank you guys all so much for watching. And until next time, stay frosty.